0: back to the craft and career podcast series that features conversations with professional creatives from the arts entertainment and media industries where we engage our listeners with various approaches to craft and career and consider how those two can sometimes work together I'm Derek Webster, Senior Associate Director for Creative Careers at Yale's Office of Career Strategy. And I'm excited to continue our conversation with Patrice D. Bowman, Yale College class of 15, an award winning filmmaker, editor, and colorist, as well as the owner of the production and post production company Bowman Pictures. So, welcome back, Patrice. It's such a pleasure to have you back on the show. Um, We wanted to unpack a little bit further, ask you some things about filmmaking in the New York area, and uh, yeah, yeah, you had such great uh, insights uh, the first time around. Thanks for coming back.
1: Yes, Derek, th- thank you very much for having me.
0: So, you know, to lay out some of the context here, um, you direct, you edit, you do color, um, you run your own business, um, you're probably freelancing in multiple other directions, your own projects, other people's projects. Um, it keeps you busy, I'm sure. Um, could you unpack for us a little bit more about Maybe some of the common concerns that, that spreads equally be, uh, between all of those different engagements. You're a director, you're an editor, you do color, um, you're a small business owner, you're super busy in multiple directions. Um, so tell us a little bit more about maybe the commonality between all those different hats that you wear, um, and also things that are specific to each of those sort of vantages that someone that might want to be an editor should know about versus someone who might want to be a director should know.
1: So, what all of those aspects have in common in terms of being a business owner, director, editor, colorist, is just having a clear vision of what you want to achieve overall. And I say that as a combination of what, what sort of stories do you really care about telling, whether it's through the stories that you're writing or directing, or it's the stories that you're you know cutting together as an editor, stories that you're color grading as a colorist, and, you know, as a business owner, what what stories do you want to put on your website and say, hey, I worked on this in some capacity. So understanding what you care about and what kind of people you want to work with and get along with are very important things. Now, when you're starting out, you obviously are just trying to get as much experience as possible and just widen your network as much as possible. So you're probably not going to have that kind of definition in terms of what you want to do and who you want to work with just yet but as you continue to work and knowing what what is your work style and what kind of work styles complement your own and also what what do you want to see on the screen and have your name attached to it all that's going to impact how you look at different projects as a business owner as a director as an editor and a colorist so i would say that's the big thing that unites all those and of course, you know I can also talk about the different approaches to each of those uh, parts as well.
0: Yeah, I wonder if you could tell us um, with those different channels, um, what is specific in terms of difficulties versus rewards for each of those kind of engagements?
1: Difficulties versus rewards, and okay, all four of those <laughs> right. aspects. Okay,
0: you've signed yourself up for a lot, being you know, so yeah, multi-talented. I did. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Yeah. I guess it comes with being a multi-hyphenate, which I guess is the term of floating around now. Yes. As a business owner, you are, especially if you're working for yourself, you have to somehow get the best content of stories and the person that you'll be collaborating with on this particular project, sort of seeing, you know, their portfolio and what they want to do with their project and how they are in terms of getting along with them. You also have to think about Uh, not just the content of the project, but also the potential of the project in terms of where it can go. And it might be, you know, distribution or like it has a strong potential to have a great run in a film festival circuit. Or, you know, maybe there's already some, like going back to distribution, maybe there's already some sort of deal that's going on and it's not just going to, just get a couple of views on YouTube or something, it actually has potential to be seen by a large variety of people and continue to make you as a business person, a business owner, more visible to people within the entertainment industry. And then ultimately, you also have to think about the, the pay, right? You have to somehow balance the creative and the marketing with how much money is this project going to give to your business so that you can continue to run, in my case, my production, post-production business for, I mean, hopefully for a very long time. So as a business owner, those are the things that you sort of have to keep in mind. And then as a director, it all kind of trickles down from there. In my case, as a director, I'm writing and producing my own content. So I am not as concerned about whether I like the the story or not. I mean, hopefully I like my own story. Right. <laughs> Having said that, yes, it, obviously as writing my own story, I obviously show it to people who are interested and get feedback and making sure that in that feedback, my voice is still clear, but I'm also getting notes that are ultimately going to help develop the story and not radically change it. I think one thing that can be very easy to succumb to, especially again, when you're just starting out, is that you get notes from people, but you need to make sure that people aren't trying to just impose their vision on your vision. I would say that it's very important to get notes from people that you trust and that you respect their work and that you know what notes are helpful and one what notes aren't i think one of my professors i'm pretty sure it was margaret spillane one of my english professors she said let's say that someone gives you a pizza and it has like i don't know pepperonis on it and someone says, well, I don't like pepperoni pizza, when you're trying to get like feedback from someone, it's like, well, yeah, okay, but like, I kind of need to know what, that's too bad that you don't like the pepperoni pizza, but like, what is it? You might've
0: ordered the wrong thing if you don't want pepperonis on your pepperoni pizza. Well, Yes, and
1: also, (laughs) you know, even if that's not your particular preference, it's ultimately I need to know like how I can make this pepperoni pizza better, even if you don't like pepperoni pizza. Right. I, I'm kind of paraphrasing what she said like years ago, but that always stuck yeah. with me. It's like, yes, yeah. some people will not like perhaps it's the genre, perhaps it's the story. But ultimately, you have to know as a director what notes are going to work to make your story more powerful, whether in terms of story structure, cleaning that up or better character development. So that's one thing to keep in mind as a director, even if in my case, you're writing your own stuff you have to know who you're bringing on to sort of help you make your story stronger. And of course, as a director, you also have to make sure that beyond the script stage, you are bringing on the right casting crew to tell your story, obviously, because the wrong people behind and in front of the camera can really make or break your production in terms of the performance, the lead actress. It really is you know, something that is, for instance, my short film Under the Sun After the Wind, that's a one person story. Like there's only one person in front of the camera. I was very fortunate to be able to cast a very talented actress, uh, Portland Thomas, in front of it. Because if you don't have the right talent, that will be the one thing that will stick in people's minds. And of course, if you don't have like the a crew that you can get along with or who are not punctual or anything else, then that can also impact your film. Perhaps you won't see it in front of the screen, but sometimes you do in terms of sound quality, video quality, things going over budget because you know, the shoot lasts longer than it needs to, Mm -hmm. or like weird continuity issues, bad costuming, things like that. Those are things to look out for as a director. And uh, I can also talk about color green and editing as well, a little bit more briefly.
0: Right, right, that's interesting. I I was gonna actually, um, you know, look at, it almost sounds like in a a, a really helpful way, it almost because of your focus and, and kind of the, the business acumen that's sort of like attached to being a small business owner and having your own production company, in some ways that's bled over into the, the framing and organization approach, organizational approach that you have on the directing side, which yes. sounds like it's really helpful. And maybe that's something that some directors might wanna think about in terms of it. Yes, it's it is a creative pursuit, but you also have to in some ways think from the perspective of the producer, from the pr- perspective of the production company, those sorts of things. That sounds like that's been really helpful for you. Um, but yeah, could you maybe tell us a little bit more? So editing, color, all kind of post engagement. Yes. What, is there a different lens to that? Is there a different approach to that? Is that more, you know, uh, like on a contracted basis when it's not your own material? What changes in, in with those elements?
1: Right. So if it's not my material then as an editor and colorist, I'll just put them together since they're both in post-production. I again have to put the lens of like as a business owner because someone is giving me a contract or I'm giving them a contract saying, okay, we agreed to this project for this amount of time and I'm gonna get this credit, whether as an editor or a colorist or both. And I'm looking at it through the lens of getting along with this potential client, uh, seeing their portfolio of their website, see what kind of work they do and, looking at the project itself, if it's the kind of story that I really do feel something towards. I, I'm definitely someone who cares about stories where it, it can be a combination of things. It could be a documentary about, uh, I guess just to use an example, I, I've color graded documentaries about you know, the criminal justice system. And I've also worked on nonprofit stuff about different nonprofit organizations helping people in need. And I've also worked on content where it's fictional, but it's a story that I care about, like a film about a woman who's working with this girl who she is caring for that's from the foster care system. So you know there's different there's kind of stories that i'm looking at like that that perhaps has a very interesting human element to it or maybe it's like very visually appealing and you know also i'm not someone who's interested in like super explicit content i find that the strongest stuff that i've worked with usually doesn't have to like be rated r stuff or things like that So those are the kind of things I'm looking out for as a colorist and editor. And I am also approaching it from a more technical standpoint in terms of like organization, looking at the different clips that are there, making sure there aren't any issues. And of course, a lot of back and forth between the client that I'm working with and myself in terms of what they ultimately want to achieve. And usually, I mean, especially now, things are a little bit more remote, so it's a little slower, but being able to talk with people on the phone or Zoom or working remotely with them, like more direct communication is something that I also push for so that we can sort of achieve what we both want sooner. Because that's another thing to keep in mind as an editor and colorist, you have to do a lot of revisions So that both parties are happy with what's ultimately on screen. So it's something that from who I've talked with, especially people who ask me about being a colorist, they're like, wow, there's so many revisions and there's so much fine tuning and you have to work in a dark room as your color grading images. I don't think I could do this. It's like, it's not something for everyone. You have to pay attention to small details. You have to be fine with Revisions within reason. So that's why you use a contract to like figure that out before you start. But those are the things to keep in mind. At least that's what I keep in mind as an editor and colorist, if that answers your question.
0: Oh, for sure. Yeah, that gives a a lot more, you know, uh, direct exploration of of what does that look like. Um, I always love um, talking with editors um, and I, I, I like to pose the question. I personally think editors are in some ways like the the unsung storyteller. <laughs> yes. Um, it, it's, it, it always depends, right? Like how, how in that dynamic of relationship it might be various. But from your perspective as an editor, but also as a director, how important do you feel the editing is and how much is the, of the final creative um, license is actually on the on the editing floor
1: right so yes i'm definitely biased because i am an editor but yeah i find that it's two things it's one an editor can only really work with what's shot i know there's a term called like fixing in post where if there's something that happens during production it's something that can be passed off to someone in post-production to magically fix but it's not Mm. something well it's both yes and no it's like there's some things that no, an editor like if it hasn't been shot, then the editor can't just like magically make that right. and just like appear. <laughs> uh, but there are things where depending on how much footage has been shot and the quality of it, and you know also the sound as well. Yes, an editor working along with the director can make changes to the story as it's been written, depending on the collaboration between the editor and the director. I mean, in my case, uh, using my short film Under the Sun After the Wind, for example, I changed the ending from the way it was shot when I wrote the screenplay and I created a shot list with my director of photography, meaning that we planned out different angles to shoot for different scenes and how they were going to be set up, those shots. For the very ending, we shot the main actress walking out of frame. And then the projector projects a quote from sort of like an adapted quote from the Bible. And there's like a very peaceful image of the mountains or something. In post-production, as an editor, I looked at that and I thought, okay, so I'm going to change this. And I ended up taking a, cl- a close-up of the main actress feeling very exuberant. After looking at a lot of, you know, terrible stuff online, she started seeing more inspirational images. And there's a close-up shot of her, you know, smiling and raising her hands in triumph. And it's, you know, it's very nice. And it's like behind her projected, there's like people marching uh, in protest. And so I have that shot and I end with that shot. I, I sort of like slowed it down a little bit and I made it lighter and I had it fade to white. So I, I talk about that because that's an example of, yes, as an editor, you can change the story if that's something that you feel like needs to happen. And again, you and the director have to be on the same page though.
0: Sure, yeah, because those decisions, you'll be answerable either to director or producer whoever happens to be. Um, yes. But yeah, that's a, a fantastic example of just just how important those decisions are. And and even if it's the director over the shoulder of the editor, in your case, you're both of those <laughs> both of those individuals that actually like the shooting is just one one part, right? It and it's is. It's actually it's not even that close to the finished product because of all the decisions that are made in the editing.
1: Yes, it's very true. If things align correctly, yes, you can radically retell the story. I know there's there's probably many stories out there floating around of like of feature length like studio movies that had to be recut. Right, Uh, all those
0: director cuts, the Blade Runner. Yes, that's right. I was just going to talk about
1: this. Yes, Blade Runner and like other people uh, that-
0: Or the Justice League, the most recent. Yes, that's right. Yeah,
1: Yeah, I think about like Zack Snyder. I think about Ridley Scott, where people have the vision, what they have in mind, but of course they have to answer to the studio and like other notes from different screenings. So yes, there's what shot that's there. And then the editor with the right material can, yes, can recut things to change, plot points can change overall tone, things like that.
0: That's great. No, I, I love that little bit of a dive into what it looks like and it actually looks like with hands on the board kind of version. So uh, you actually mentioned prior um, in our last conversation that um, some of the creative engagement in your community, you mentioned sort of uh, church environment and that kind of a community. Um, is that an example of a way that like, the engagements that you have in your life can be facilitators for opportunity. Um, do you do you find like, and particularly early on, did you find through those kinds of communities, like projects that were available or referral happening down those networks? Can you tell us a little bit more about what could be a really valuable outlet for a young filmmaker, which is recognizing that sometimes it might not always be like the standard Hollywood, here are my contacts, but rather I'm looking in multiple directions and understanding that media exists and is necessary, you know, down very many, many roads.
1: So just talk a little bit more about those community connections
0: from... Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what it felt like for you and any recommendations that you would have in that direction.
1: So yes, in terms of community connections, it really is a, it's been a combination of online resources and in-person resources. So even before I moved to New York, I, I joined different Facebook groups, like there's one that I was a part of was uh, Blue Collar Post Collective on Facebook, which was my first, I guess, yeah, that was my, my first like major Facebook group that I was a part of. When I was working on Bikini Moon, somebody recommended that I join that group. And yeah, I find it to be a valuable resource in terms of jobs and learning about rates and like also different post-production career paths. Because when I first was starting out after graduating, you know, working 2015, 2016, a little bit of 2017, I still was trying to figure out what can I do in post-production. And that's actually, I believe it was in that blue collar post-collective group that I found the, the job from Vice as a finishing assistant editor, which... Working as a finishing assistant editor at Vice was ultimately the path that led me to seriously see color grading as a career opportunity. I, as a finishing assistant editor, I was shadowing the colorist at Vice as he was working on the different episodes for the weekly show that used to air on HBO. You know, I would just watch what he did, ask questions, help him with his project in terms of like delivering certain things to him. I was also working with the sound mixer, but not as much. It was mainly the the colorist I was working with. So it was through that particular Facebook group that eventually I found that job at Vice the editor that I worked with on Bikini Moon, she knew the post supervisor vice that was sort of in charge of overlooking that position. So that helped me get work as a finishing assistant editor. I out the colorist and that's when I really started taking color grading, seriously as a career opportunity. And I started color grading on my own, doing a little work for different promos that they did for YouTube. So I would say that that's one example that I would show of Facebook isn't just there to just like scroll and like perhaps waste time, but it can be a very valuable opportunity in terms of the Facebook groups that you actually choose to join. And you have to just pay attention to what is being posted in that group and like keep your eyes out on the people who you know that are in there and the different job opportunities as well. After moving to New York in like 2017, and figuring out that I was gonna stay here for a while, I joined like other groups as well. I mean, I guess if I'm gonna quickly list off some other groups, I was also, sure. I'm also part of like a Brown Girls Doc Mafia, which it's mainly a resource for like women of color who are working in documentary. As a post-production professional, I'm helping people who are making documentaries. So that was one resource. I would say doc- now-
0: Documentary requires a lot of editing. <laughs>
1: Yes. <laughs> I, yeah, I've, I've mainly sort of been helping people in the color grain department oh, okay. because when you are shooting a documentary, you are probably going to be using multiple cameras and you're running in, it's, they call it like run and gun. So you're like running around, you're filming things and you really do need like someone, a colorist to help you even out all the different footage. Eventually so it needs
0: to look like it's all the same.
1: Yes. It, eventually you are going to have to do that. Um, and other groups that are Focused on like the New York area, or in emphasizing like diversity and inclusion within the entertainment industry. So I'm a part of groups like that as well. But obviously, I'm also a part of um, like sort of like larger net groups as well. Like um, I'm a part of Women in Media. I'm part of like Wift as well. There's like a couple of opportunities there's a couple of groups I'm a part of. I don't know if I should list them all or like maybe put them. I can email it and like it could be in the show notes, but yes. Yeah,
0: yeah, if you had additional resources that we should keep in mind, I'd be be happy to list those in the show notes.
1: Yes, ultimately I'm just getting to the point where, yes, there's a lot of opportunities in terms of Facebook and social, uh, yes, mainly Facebook, because there's a lot of subgroups that are dedicated to entertainment based off of different backgrounds that people might have so that's like one community and of course in person is also very valuable that's sort of been disrupted for obvious reasons for COVID 19. Right, but when right. i first moved to new york i signed up to join film shop which is um it's a new york-based group that meets in different parts of new york city weekly and that was my first Like opportunity to really see more people in the film, sort of like in the independent filmmaking industry here in New York, and that's also the group that gave me the support to make the first short film I actually filmed in New York called Saturday Grace. Like that was the group that gave me feedback and helped me find. That's where I found my two my two producers, and they helped me find my crew. So that was also a very helpful resource. And of course, at church, I work with you know, musicians and people who work in audio visual. So with them, they've they've been like an additional resource to sort of help. I've sort of been able to help them with, you know, videos at church and they've been sort of, through my volunteer work, I've been sort of been able to learn more about things I never even thought about. Like I help with sound mixing there for Mm -hmm. like, for like their different services on Sunday. And as someone who like focuses mainly on picture, I never really thought about that until I started live mixing uh, for their services on Sunday. So I'm helping out with, you know, the sound levels of like the singing and also so the, the preaching as well. So that's been a, a opportunity where I've been able to connect with artists, uh, mainly in the music and like audio visual background, and also sort of learn a new skill, which has I found to be, you know, pretty interesting. I think it's very easy to be just like set in a couple of things. And not want to expand and see how what you're learning from a different skill set can also help you stay fresh in what you're used to, if that makes sense.
0: Totally, yeah. No, that that's great, and that's a very dynamic way of engaging multiple channels. You know, you wear many hats, but why not um, take a look at understanding the the perspective and context, even in different directions. That's great. Yes. Um, when you think of your to, to pull it back more, your projects, the things that you focus on, um, what do you feel are some of the the creative frictions that you run up against, or have run up against, or continue to run up against, um, whether in the New York area or just you know uh it, with your filmmaking in general what are some of the creative frictions like um projects and, and problems that you find with projects Any, anything that you, you is sort of like on your on your map in terms of things that you've got to deal with
1: well filmmaking is essentially you running into problems and having to solve it so that your production doesn't sink so i i would say Yes, I.
0: And anything in that direction, where the, the sort of almost the artistic or creative side is in tension with just the practical reality, and and that could be funding. It could be you know like you go in a lot of directions. But do you any any advice in those directions in terms of the ways that you deal with 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 that kind of tension?
1: So yes, I would say the most obvious issue I could tackle would be funding because that is something that makes or breaks a production. I would say that one of the things that I keep in mind as a business owner is balancing the income that I'm getting from providing my services to different clients and balancing that out with me self-funding my own projects. it's something that for my latest short film, Under the Sun After the Wind, because it was very concentrated, in like one person, one location. And by that point, I was working way more than I did like a couple of years ago it was less of an issue but i, I suppose if i want to talk about a, a more concrete example i would go back to my film before that saturday grace which like i said it was the first film that i shot in new york city my other films i'd shot in new haven as a college student like i shot like very two very short films and then as a senior i shot a short film called lean on him which was about a woman a christian woman who has a christ of faith when Her mom develops dementia and, you know, I was still learning the ropes of filmmaking. And I think my enthusiasm for filmmaking and wanting to put all that I learned on paper clashed with my experience level. And funding really wasn't as much of an issue because Yale University gave like a limited amount of funds to people for their senior thesis projects. And also Yale University had resources for renting out equipment, whether it's for audio, whether it's for a video. And of course, there were different labs where you could use different software to ultimately finish post-production for your project. So yes, for laying on him, it was more of an issue of experience versus my enthusiasm for wanting to tell that and not really knowing and having watched films and studied them, but still being able to put that in practice because being able to watch films and critique them are very different from actually being able to, to create them. It's something I learned very quickly. So even with that, I lean on him, still like playing some festivals and won an award at Yale, but it was still something where I thought a big challenge on that one was just not having the experience. And maybe it was due to, I mean, again, I was still in college, so some of the audio doesn't sound that great. I tried doing my, sound, my own sound mixing as someone who's not a professional sound mixer and not really knowing about copyright and in terms of music, like I just used music. Um, from different albums that I liked, and not knowing that you really shouldn't do that. I should have used original music. So in that case, it's just like not knowing the do's and don'ts. With Saturday Grace, I had a better understanding of like the technical part of it, like knowing how to better allocate different duties to people. But yeah, with Saturday Grace, that one was before I was working full-time for just myself and why I was still sort of building up my funds. So it was definitely a combination of funding, not as being as high as I would have liked it to be. So that meant cutting out certain positions, like not really having a costume designer, which wasn't ideal. So I had to figure that out with one of my producers, Uh, took away attention from other things and also sort of cramming the shoot into, I believe it was two days, but it was two days and it's like a seven or 10 page script, Saturday Grace. It's about this woman who is grieving, Uh, She just lost her husband, and she's a worship dancer at church. And then in a park, she meets a homeless woman who used to be an ex-Broadway dancer. There's some tension between the two at first, but they eventually discover that they both love dance from their different perspectives, and they become friends. So it seems like a very straightforward story, but... There were multiple locations. So there's the park, there's the apartment that the main character lives in, and then there's the church that she goes to and she dances in. So we have three locations,
0: right? And And we have the one of them outdoor.
1: (laughs) Yes, yes. Uh, So yes, one of them are outdoors, and so that comes with you know changing light, um, sound issues, making sure we can transport all the equipment and like have it there safely, and we're cramming all this in two days. So. I would say that the tension in that one was ultimately like what the story that I wanted to tell, wanting to tell something uplifting because I had been working on a lot of material that was depressing or things like that. And also again, just wanting to get back into the director's seat because I made Saturday Grace while I was still working at, I wanna say it was either I was still working at Vice or I, I started working at another company, Harbor Picture Company. So I was doing that. I was directing this film and I was also continuing to try to grow Bowman Pictures. So it was a combination of that. It's a clash of not the best time management because I was doing a lot of things outside of directing, squeezing in.
0: or just having that broad of bandwidth yes. in terms of the number of projects well yes
1: i i would also say that as well i was squeezing in too much in, into like two days and not knowing where to cut ultimately skipping out on some personnel that could have made things go a little bit easier and not have stressed out as many people so mm-hmm. that those were the the things that i learned on saturday grace and i guess with my recent film under the sun after the wind because it was just limited to one location one person and the script was like 5 pages and i would say the producers i had this time around were a little bit more experienced that definitely helped and um of course having one just having just one location and having a day yeah. dedicated to yeah. running through the script as a practice day yes. those were very valuable lessons i learned from both lean on him and saturday grace like as much as saturday grace won awards for like cinematography and editing and played in uh, quite a few festivals ultimately there were a lot of lessons that i learned that i transferred to my latest short film so i guess in summary the things to look out for when you are being i guess in my case a director who also owns a business is like when you're telling a story you are constantly up against budget so you have to figure out creatively what do you need to cut so that you can still tell a cohesive story with compelling characters and not try to run people ragged on a limited schedule and yeah. ultimately working with people that you sort of feel very comfortable with I, I would say that for under the sun after the Wind, i felt like very comfortable with the crew that i was working with but of course it was it was helpful that we weren't really as stressed out as perhaps a past crew members have been for my past two short films if that answers your question
0: oh it does yeah and i i appreciate too that you know as a even as a screenwriter you know, you've been, uh, we talk a lot with our, you know, our our screenwriters here at Yale, like that having experience with production can be invaluable in terms of helping you to understand that at a certain point, whatever you're writing is going to have to be shot. Yes. And you have, particularly within the independent filmmaking community and, and, you know, the the budgetary constraints that are usually involved, it can make you a much better practical screenwriter to understand how you can actually improve the approach and, and make things. If the important thing is the story, maybe you don't have to have the five different locations yes. that sort of thing that's that's a great example yes um, I'm, I'm wondering too you know from uh, another question we often get from our filmmakers um, or the thoughts that there is, is about early distribution, right? So you've got the festival circuit and, and as things might get sent around, but people even are, are wondering about, you know, there's the the standard kind of like YouTube, do you have your own channel, Vimeo, that sort of thing. Um, TikTok is a new kind oh, of engagement yes. that, you know, we'll see. You know, it's been around, it's actually lasted for a while. So So who knows where that's going? Do you have any yeah. advice for young filmmakers in terms of Thinking about that, you know, okay, yeah, I, I do want to get a break with maybe something gets listed at a festival. But if that's not happening immediately, like, what are some of the better, you know, alternative uh, distribution channels?
1: So, yes, if we're starting like with the film festival circuit. I mean, the ideal channel is like it gets noticed at like Academy Award qualifying festival, one of the big name ones, like Tribeca, Sundance, South by Southwest. And the attention there means that it can be, I don't know, perhaps if, even if your short isn't like gonna be put on a streaming service, which the realistic side of it is like, if you're doing, let's assume we're talking about short films, the market for short films isn't really as strong as it is for feature length films. I mean, there are definitely, I mean, on Vimeo, which is a platform that I use and I store my content on, you can put your film behind a paywall, but really it's the incentive to do that for short films isn't as strong. And of course there are like streaming websites that just do shorts. But I, I found that as of now, the market for short films just isn't very strong. So ideally, if you're, if we're talking about shorts again, because that's the the type of storytelling that I'm the, the most familiar with in terms of what I've written and what I've directed and produced, and what I've had in film festivals, then. Ideally it's something where you get noticed at a festival and someone approaches you to want to direct something bigger or maybe you or your short is a proof of concept that gets a lot of attention and then you make a feature length version. I'm pretty sure that's what happened with Whiplash, that film about the drummer. I mean, my memory isn't 100% clear on that, but I believe that the trajectory of that was, it started as a short film and then it ended up being a feature, which is like the ideal path. Right, right. something I would love to happen (laughs) for me. But if we're we're going outside of the film festival circuit, because it's a very tricky one, then in terms of alternate forms of distribution, um, I mean, one of the big ones right now would probably be trying to monetize your content. I think it might be a little bit easier on YouTube. I know on Vimeo, you can pay to like buy certain movies. I know right, on YouTube.
0: The audience isn't as big on Vimeo though. Yes, that's well, the so. thing.
1: You're right. The The audience isn't as big on Vimeo, unfortunately. I mean, when things go viral, it's usually going to be on YouTube or as you mentioned, TikTok, which I, I actually don't use. It's just I'm aware of it because a part of being in the entertainment entry is being aware of different trends and different apps that pop up that people want to create content for themselves or like maybe you know, different companies are distributing their own like branded stuff or commercials or things like that. So that's one, so yes, I'm aware of TikTok, but yeah, I guess one of the other things would be monetization in terms of growing your channel, getting a lot of views and somehow that translates to money in your pocket based off of the amount of people that are interacting with your content. So that's, that's something that I'm also aware of.
0: And establishing a platform as well, right? Like, So when, when you're in those meetings, when you're pitching a project, you can point them to your social media channels that have X number yes. of followers and all those sorts of things, yeah.
1: Well, yes, I I, w- I would say that as well. And there's also, I mean, you can also upload content to, to Facebook as well for things to go viral. But I guess, again, if we're going back to shorts, it's a, it's a little bit, more limited in terms of making money off of it. Whenever, in terms of myself and also other people that make shorts, it's it's always been more of a stepping stone until there's like a radical change. Ideally, what I would like to see is short films being programmed with like feature length films and theaters that sort of share certain themes or topics with the feature length films. But the only thing that's going to be shown before a feature-length film is are going to be trailers for very obvious reasons to market. But you know, in an ideal world, yeah,
0: that's great. Um, So we're just about out of time. Um, Is there? I was wondering before we close out, uh, any anything else uh, that you'd want to leave the audience with, young filmmakers uh, thinking about in New York area or or in just filmmaking in general like in, any any uh, like lingering advice
1: right in terms of advice i would say that again it's it's always going to be succeeding in this industry is a combination of technical ability also networking and being able to market yourself successfully and also just staying on top of news of our industry and like continuing to learn at this point because of you know the internet uh, a lot of knowledge that may not have been been available to generations past are available now In terms of tutorials, uh, obviously with your podcast, this is another resource for people to get an insider's look into different parts of the entertainment industry because there are definitely different parts. I would say that I'm someone who's part of more like the, the smaller, like independent New York based part. But again, with the internet and with people being able to upload content, it has become something where you can definitely like not be in sort of like the larger areas of New York or Los Angeles. And you can still build some sort of name for yourself, but I still find that a large amount of the resources and the different companies are still pretty much located here in New York or Los Angeles. And of course there's Atlanta, So I would say that know exactly what is it that you want to get out of the entertainment industry. Figure out if you really are willing to relocate or do you want to figure out how you can just sort of build some sort of name for yourself where you're located. And understanding the pros and cons of that, because there are opportunities and also limitations if you decide not to live in sort of like the more major metropolitan areas like New York City and Los Angeles and also just like i said just not one thing that i, I wish i could have said earlier and talked about a little bit more was just making sure everything's in balance like the entertainment industry can be very overwhelming especially when you're just getting started because like i said um payment in the beginning can be not great and you can definitely be taken advantage of but just knowing that you have to have balance between like i said you're building up your skill set your networking You're also learning new things and staying on top of industry news. But just remember to also step back and have a life outside of that. Like make sure that you have a very strong core friend and family group that you are not just consuming just films but you're consuming other kinds of art. Don't just be focused on filmmaking. It can be very easy to do that, but just make sure that you can step outside of that and just take a deep breath.
0: That's great. I think that's a perfect place to to leave it. Thank you so much, Patrice. It's been such a pleasure um, getting to know more of your background and and providing this great context and advice for our listeners as well. Thank you so much.
1: Yeah, and Derek, thank you very much for having me on your podcast. I hope um, my advice can help some people.
0: Of course, yeah, it's been great. So that's it for today. Until next time, don't be afraid to use the word career, but always stay crafty.